This is The Real Magic Podcast. Learn about great design and use it to get great results. Now your hosts, Greg Merrilies and Alan Nunez. Hello, listener, and thank you for joining Alan and I today for The Real Magic Design Podcast, where we unpack our experience to help designers and business owners understand how to create amazing designs and work together to make design that is profitable. I am Greg from studio1design.com, and here's my co-host, the fabulous Alan from pixelpartnershq.com. How are you, man? Man, you really raced to the end of that intro, didn't you? I'm just excited. Excited, <laughs> dude! Yeah, I'm relaxed, mate. Because you 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 really like this topic. Yeah, it's a great idea, Al. Yeah, yeah it kind of came uh, out of nowhere, and and it's I think it's a I think it's a really really great one. Uh, before we get into the topic, mate, what, what have you been up to? Well, the reason I'm so excited and relaxed is because I just spent a week at Viva Va. What is it? Viva Valente. And listen, go Google that stuff. It's in New South Wales' northern coast at Coffs Harbour. A client of ours owns this place, right? And he paid us, instead of paying us for a website design, you know, with cash or whatever, he paid us with his accommodation of this place. And we've just spent a week at this place and it is incredible. We're talking a lot of famous people have stayed there, like too many to mention. And he's, he's asked me not to mention them, actually. So, But yeah, ridiculous price tag. We'd never be able to afford that otherwise, other than getting it in return for our website design. So yeah, we're just pumped. We had some friends come up as well and... Yeah, man, what an awesome place and what a great way to rewind, uh, sorry, unwind before, you know, the kids go back to school. Yes, and this is a big day in Australia for us, isn't it? Listen, you're probably getting this a week later, but kids go back to school after their summer holidays. And although it has been an awesome summer and plenty of time at the beach and the pool for us, it is nice to have the kids back at school and, and back into our <laughs> normal routine. And, yeah. you know, I'm big at blocking, you know, my most productive work. And that's hard to do when you're split tasking, you know, because I, I want to spend time with the kids when they're around. Yeah, exactly. That's the hardest thing, isn't it? Like splitting your time. Like you can't be fully focused on one or the other. Now, bring on school, mate. We're back into it, back into normality. Yeah, love you, kids. Bye. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you bet. <laughs> so is that what, you, what have you been up to then exactly? Like in the yeah, last week? Yeah, look, I mean, the last couple of days has been, you know, getting all the school stuff ready. You know, our middle daughter has to bring her iPad to school now as part of her you know, needs, textbooks, pencils, and an iPad. So just getting all that ready. How old is she? What year? She is eight. Eight, got it. Okay, is it first year for that? It, well, they, they've been rolling it out in the school, moving down from the oldest years down to the youngest years. So okay. one year at a time, the parents have to fork out. I, I guess not Not all families are Apple device rich like you and I. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so they just roll it out. Yeah. Well, at our school, they, they've got it for every year, including prep, but they let you lease them off the school. So, you know, it's not really a huge deal and you have it for the whole term of primary school. Yeah, look, I know if, I know some schools in the high school that our kids are going to have that, but in this, with this school, it's a bring-your-own-device model, which, ah, oh, look, to me, either way. Yeah, whatever. But, yeah, it's a good tool to have because it's Apple. No, because yeah. it's quite helpful because of the apps, essentially. Yeah, look, I, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see over the next few years as these kids go to high school and uni. I think, you know, textbooks will be redundant. Notebooks will be redundant. It'll, it's a whole new, whole brave new world. No more scientific calculators and, and rulers and pencils for, for them. You bet, man, you bet. So what are we talking about today, Al? What's the topic? The, the topic is what is the real cost of getting your design wrong? Uh, mm. I mean, 
we always talk about making profitable design, right? And, and working together, designers and business owners, to, to get the most out of their design, to leverage the visual part of their business and drive sales and drive conversions and, and this sort of stuff. But, you know, I've seen it and I'm sure you've seen it plenty of times and, and we'll probably do a couple of case studies in this episode of yeah. where design has gone wrong. You know, yeah. a strategic decision either by the designer or by the client has taken it in a direction that has had a bad impact on them. Mm, absolutely. And I, I can think of a lot of different examples. You know, obviously we design a lot of websites and you, we get asked to review a lot of websites and, you know, you might look at a website and you go, right, okay, who's this aimed at? Can you tell by just looking at it, looking at the images and the color palette and the copywriting? And a lot of the time they get it wrong. And obviously that's why they come to us. But the point is that there's so many examples out there and we are going to sh share some on this on this podcast. So what do you got first, Al, before I launch into a couple? I, I just, I want to ask you an interesting question, right? And, mm. and, and I've had this experience. Have you ever had a client come to you to ask for a redesign of something, specifically a redesign, something that already exists, right? And in our case, that would be, you know, packaging or instruction manuals or yep. Amazon for you to be websites where you review what they have and you actually ask the question, well, why do you want to change it? You know, what's what's not working? This looks like it is ticking all the boxes. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, absolutely. And we will push back. And we do have a questionnaire for that as well. So, yeah, a lot of the time it, it might just be because they want a fresh look. You know, it could be simple as that. And I, I will let them know that I think the design is good enough if it if we think it is, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the interesting one is that, um, yeah, it is very tempting as a design agency just to go, yep, no problems, we'll redesign it. But you've got to be careful because I, I think that if you design, you redesign something that is a winning formula and you don't keep the essence of the winning formula, you could adversely impact the brand. Oh, really? Yeah, absolutely. And we, look, we get some landing pages that are like that, that they've got the formula down pat and they just want to boost in conversions, right? So it's like, well, okay, we yes, we can design and update the look and feel, but, you know, the structure of the page from the copywriting to the flow to the images and everything is actually quite good. So we just going to let you know that, you know, we are going to keep the structure exactly the same. And this doesn't happen often, but I'm just saying, like, don't expect a miracle from a redesign of something where the structure is already perfect, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So this topic has, has come from a, a few experiences that I've seen in probably the last 12 months where I've had people come to me either after the fact or it's a job that we've done. And exactly like you said, we, we've questioned whether or not the direction is correct. And then at the end of the process, you know, it has had either a negative or an unexpected result. So I'm going to kick off with one that, that might be relevant to you, which is a website example. So somebody I know uh, spent three months redesigning their entire website and then 48 hours after launching it, their sales plummet. Okay. Their sales and their inquiries plummet. Right. Right. Okay. So break that down. Do you, do you know why? Look, I haven't had an in-depth look at it. I've only had a quick scan at it because this happened relatively recently. Yeah. I think they've changed the flow of how people interact with the site. Right. So mm -hmm. I think one of the mistakes they did is they didn't really stop and look at what was working on their site and keep 
that structure and those elements. And if anything, just hone in on that, refine that rather than uh, redesign it, right? So the new design was made to look pretty. It was all about how the site looked. And, yeah. I, and I don't think enough thought was put into, well, how does the customer interact with the website? How, what is the current flow from the, the customer arriving through to making a, an inquiry or a sale? Yeah, the customer journey. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Okay. That's interesting because you touched on something that's super important. If you are going to redesign a website, you, you do need to work out what's working already, you know, so because any good designer will, will ask you what is working already because we want to keep that. Yeah. And then my other suspicions may be that they've possibly overcomplicated some of the inquiry forms because they thought, well, we want more out of this, right? Once people give us an inquiry, we want more information. Right. So I think, you know, one of the things they might have to look at is have they overcomplicated the design of the inquiry form and are they getting mm -hmm. drop-offs there? And the other thing I'd probably think about is, you know, the entry points. Have they redesigned the site and not correctly redirected you know, thing, inquiry points where people might be coming from offsite. They might be coming from a link on Facebook. They might be coming from a link on previous page that had strong SEO, uh, a recommendation from another website, right? Have they got their analytics set up, Google? Oh, look, I would, I would say so. But, you know, yeah. they're, they're like seeing such a dramatic change in the structure of the site, I, I can't see without going into the back end whether or not those those things have been done. But even then, have they been done correctly, right? Because yeah. I've seen this before. People just mass redirect pages back to their new homepage, right? Yeah. But you really need to redirect it to a relevant page that is the equivalent to what your previous page was. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it depends on if the traffic's warm or cold and, you know, what stage they're at in, you know, how many touch points they've had with you and things like that. So, yeah, super important. Okay, I mean, one thing that they could do is put, you know, hotjar.com, which is not um, it's not an ad for those guys. They're just awesome. I use them. And you can put heat maps on your site and also video reviews of people. Sorry, not reviews, just videos of people using your website. You can learn so much, you know, from just watching people. I, I get some incredible insights watching people use my websites. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think that if you're going to redesign a site, one thing might be to do that first. Yeah. Right? So, so run, depending on how much traffic you have, run one, two, three months worth of, of that type of data to see exactly what people are doing. I mean, you and I know both know great instances where people have used heat mapping, hot jar, um, crazy egg, any of those tools, and mm. they've eliminated things that just nobody's clicking on, things that they thought they needed in their navigation, in their menu. And, you know, maybe it's still there, but it's been dropped to the footer menu. And, yeah. you know, they've simplified the, the, the process. So I guess what I'm saying is, is that it's an example of a design that looks great, right? But it has had a significant cost impact on that business and and the option has been to switch it back to the previous design and then reassess mm -hmm. what's going on now that's a that's a pretty big effort really considering they spent months working on the new design oh absolutely yeah and yeah i mean you, you it's just it's dangerous to do that without knowing what's and letting your designer know what's working and what's not that's what i would suggest yeah absolutely absolutely so w what other do you have any other example? I've got a couple more, but let, let's let's hit you up for one. An example of where a design has gone wrong. It's had an either an unexpected, and I say unexpected because it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, a mistake, I guess. It just needs to not perform the way you thought it was going to perform. 
Yeah, so absolutely. So my wife's just been looking for, you know, a new gym to join, right? So she's looking at some websites and, um, you know, she's like, won't give her age away, but, you know, maybe late 30s, somewhere around there. <laughs> and so the point is she's been looking at these websites and most of the websites that she, you know, she's been looking at have really young, you know, inspiring looking 20 year olds that just look hot you know and there's no way known that someone that's twice that age is ever going to be able to look like that right and so therefore to me that's just getting the imagery wrong because you know my wife for instance is not going to even look at those websites because they are not targeting at like they're not targeting her they've got the complete wrong image for her demographic and mind you these are not websites that are trying to attract young women they're trying to attract people of all ages and yeah they're just showing the young women so i feel like they've got it wrong and they've turned her away yeah look i i mean that could be just an instance of just really poor stock image selection you know like when you look in the health and fitness market at stock images that are available they all lean to that young healthy you know early 20s male and female right Mm. and we have clients in in that market and it's it's not challenging but you have to put in some thought into finding the right age group right because uh, i mean my client specifically targets middle-aged women right yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and middle-aged middle-aged to older men so sort of you're 40 plus now 40 to 70 men and you're 35 to 55 women right and then so so you have to be very very conscious of of the selection of imagery because you know you could have the best website it could be making your sales but a simple change like that could absolutely you know increase your conversions yeah, exactly. So that to me is a really good example of getting the design wrong because, yeah, people are just getting turned away instantly just from the visual, just from the imagery. So it's a big mistake. Yeah, absolutely. So another one that I've seen recently, and I, uh, I'm not going to tell say who the organisation is, but it, it's a community organisation and they're trying to attract a new type of member. Right. Mm. And what they've done is in all their design and collateral now, they're trying to talk to their current members and their core demographic and the new member. Right. That they're trying to attract. And when you look at this, these are these are opposite ends of the spectrum. Right. So I guess it's, it's a bit like that example of the, the gym. Right. Like, let's say that that gym was set up for middle aged men, like what, like uh, Curves. Have you heard of the, the gym? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Curves, yep. right? They attract women. Right. So let, let's say Curves decided they wanted to attract men and they mm. started mixing their messaging saying, hey, you know, we're great for women, but we also do men. Right. Mm. What it's going to do, it's going to turn off the women. Right, because it no longer has that really nice targeted messaging, and there's nothing wrong with them wanting to attract men. Maybe they're going to start a curves men gym chain, but don't don't get don't confuse the need to grow a new market with the need to sustain customer acquisition in your existing market and your core demographic. Oh, that's a killer tip. Yeah, absolutely. Because you can't be everything to everyone with the same messaging, you know. So, yeah, in that case, you'd want to set up a landing page that's targeting men and have it completely separate to the women's website. Yeah, you want to set up separate marketing material for that new audience and your new audience will gain critical mass eventually and it can potentially be integrated into your mainstream marketing. But I still think that you've got to, if you're attracting a new market, you should do that 
carefully not to turn off your existing market. Yeah, killer tip, man. That's awesome. Um, I just saw a billboard on the way back from the airport. And honestly, I had no idea what this ad was about, right? And you know, you've only got a few seconds as you're driving to look at a billboard, right, to try and work it out. So in that case, and in a lot of cases, I see people getting this wrong, where it's the messaging, the words on the, you know, on the advertising or website or whatever, that just trying to be too clever and you know you think about the the two or three second rule of any type of advertising or whatever even a website you haven't got much time to get people's attention and to get them to understand what you offer so there's a book out there called don't make me think by i think it's stephen krug but yeah it's an amazing book and it's really all about that just trying to be really concise about your messaging yeah, you can be clever, but not too clever. You know, you, you can you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make it think. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I like and, that. It's true. Some people try and be too clever with, with what they're doing, and then and the design goes wrong, you know, whether it be they're by being overtly clever with their imagery or the wording. It, it can really have a, an impact where, I mean, a billboard is not a cheap exercise, right? Mm. So... If you were there, maybe you're not their target market. Did, did you work out who it was for after all that? No, I didn't. It was so quick, yeah. No, I didn't work it out, and that's the whole thing. Like, okay, maybe it wasn't for me, but who is it for? Passengers instead of drivers? <laughs> you, you've, got to be, you've got to keep things simple and strong, you know. I was reading an interesting article where it was talking about, you know, minimalist design, and I think this is another place where people go wrong and it has a, a bad impact. I think two things happen, right? One, they want to be clever and minimalist, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe their brand doesn't suit that, right? Two, they want to be clever and min- or they want to be minimalist, but they don't know how. So they, they try and be minimalist, but they're not because they jam too much in to what should have less and be more concise. So, and I think, again, you, you've got to be clear on, on what you're designing, who it's for, what you want to achieve with it. Otherwise, it's a very expensive exercise, not just in the cost of the design, but all the places you deploy it. Mm, absolutely, man. Absolutely. I, I saw a, I got another example, if you don't mind me jumping in. Um, I saw a, a TV ad just yesterday and they, it's just so clever. This is about getting, like changing the design to, to suit the target market, right? So they're having a garage sale. I don't know if you've seen this ad. They're having a garage sale, these old people and these young hipsters rock up in this cool car and whatever. And, and then, uh, you know, the, I think the husband says, wife, oh, hipsters. So then they, they quickly sort of put on an image to try and, you know, relate to the hipsters. They put all their prices up, right? <laughs> for the, for, yeah, for the garage sale items. And they sold, they sold a lot of items to them. And to me, that's just been extremely clever. It, it's really, meeting the market where it's at instead of doing the opposite and guessing and getting it horribly wrong you know study your market find out who they are and then adjust things to suit them and for our us listeners a garage sale or, a, <laughs> or, a, or for the uk listeners a garage sale is, garage. A, is, a, is a yard sale so yeah there you go yeah yeah and look meet the market absolutely I've seen a couple of instances in the, the last couple of years too where we've had people approach us to revamp packaging design, you know, and yeah, I know that in some retail markets when you're selling into retail, the retailers want to see something new. They, they want a change, you know, 
And, and that can be extremely challenging because if you get the formula right, the new design can be successful. And, and I've seen this over and over, and I've had people come after the fact, oh, we had it redesigned and our sales have dropped, right? Yep. And then we've looked at what was previous and what they've done, and they have essentially, you know, that they've they've got their proportions wrong in their recipe. It's like baking a cake. If you don't quite get it right, it's it's not going to work. So, you know, being very, very careful and, and you know, Sometimes our customers come back to us with very good reasons why they're they're redesigning. Like we have one at the moment that the brand is successful, it's selling well in retail, and they want to they, they want to change it. And the reason they want to change it is because they want to take it to the next level. Yeah. They've actually gone to the trouble of seeing three elements that work really, really well for the brand, and they want to bring those elements to life in the brand. At the moment, they're sort of secondary in the brand or tertiary. So they, they want to, they have goals, very clear goals. Firstly, they want to rebrand so they can own the keyword, own the brand, own the term. And I think mm-hmm. that's a, a clever strategy. And it's not like they're taking what's working off the shelf and putting the new stuff up. They're going to migrate over time to this new, this new branding, right? Yep. Yep. They've also discovered that there's this one particular elephant, elephant, <laughs> there's one particular mm-hmm element right that is really exciting in the brand and everybody loves so they're now going to bring that into the the formal logo or they're going to attempt to make it a stronger part of of the brand right Mm. so you know aim one is be able to own the term own the keyword i mean you know friends of ours like ezra firestone and james franco they they talk about stuff like that you know james has his term own the race course right yeah um, so it's a good strategy, right? And they don't want to completely make a new look for the brand. They want to keep it looking the same, right? So they know the look works. They know this secondary tertiary element is is really liked by the consumer. So they're going to bring that up in the hierarchy. And then they're going to rename it so that they can own that name because the name they've got at yeah. the moment is a little bit generic. You know, so I think putting that thought into it means that they're going into the redesign with very, very good strategic direction, right? They're, yeah. And this same customer has come to us and said, well, we just need to redesign because our customers expect a new look and feel selling into retail, right? Mm. And they're the hardest jobs for us to do because sometimes we're being asked to redesign something that looks really, really great. Um, and recently we had to do a redesign of a job that we did a few years ago that yep, looked yep. really, really great. Like we put a lot of effort into it. It really hit the mark and... And uh, again, the question was, well, why this this works? Yeah, it's funny. We we just done that recently as well. Yeah, but the the only difference this time is that he the client is doing an SEO audit before the redesign. All we've done at this point is redesign the homepage, which he absolutely loves. But for the internal page, it's going to be based on what's going to rank really well as far as you know page titles, etc., which is also super important. But um, yeah, just on that though, Al, like. What is the like one thing you have to be really careful of in a in a branding redesign or a redesign of adding an additional brand to your existing company is the perceived value. You know what I mean? Like it might be a case of um, getting the perceived value wrong. Like you might be following the same look and feel, etc. But if you're after a different target market, it might need to be tweaked to meet that market once again because their perceived value might be might be out of whack from the from the original brand. Yeah, look, I, I think it is something you've got to be really, really careful with. 
you know, like if you're rebranding an existing brand and that brand has very, very high brand value. Mm. Um, I mean, there's a there's a great example here in Australia over the last few years of Kraft cheese, right? And I, I, I don't is Kraft an international brand? Yeah, I think the Americans purchased Kraft in the end. Well, Dairy Lee as purchase craft. So I don't know if this I don't know if this is relevant across borders, but here's the essence of it, right? So Craft in Australia is a super strong brand, right? They do cheese slices, they do cheese bread, uh, cheese spread and a variety of, of other aligned products, right? And Dairy Lee, another company has bought them and just ripped the craft logo off the products and put the oh. Dairy Lee product. Now, as far as I know, Dairy Lee is a fairly, fairly strong brand as well, but not here in Australia, right? Mm -hmm. And I would be really interested to see the statistics behind the impact that this has had because what I have seen since this has happened is an explosion in the home brand cheeses in supermarkets made by the made and branded by the supermarkets, Right. Yeah. So I'm suspect that the supermarkets have swooped in and taken a big cut of their market with their own products when this, this brand change happened. Because prior to that, I would say that it was the type of brand where people just walk in and they just reach for that brand regardless of what's on the shelf. Yeah, sure. You know, decades of history. Yeah, I wouldn't want to mess with that personally, but I'm sure they got their reasons. Oh, look, you know, there's somebody probably getting paid a lot more than you and I that made that decision. But, uh, <laughs> exactly. But I, I, do, I do think sometimes, you know, uh, rebranding for the sake of a rebrand can be detrimental. Oh, most definitely. You know, and even things like the size, if you're a product-based business, the size and shape of your, your packaging, Cotties, and again, this is an Australian brand uh, that makes Cordial. A few years back, what they did is they changed the concentration of their, of their mixture. So the bottle is now half the size that it was previously. Right? Is it double the concentrate? It's double. It makes exactly the same amount of finished product. Right, and they had it all over their packaging. It makes double the amount of the the finished product, and they had a, a drop in sales. Now, here's an interesting thing for you, right? The original bottle was two liters, okay, mm. and had a small mark at the bottom of the bottle that said you fill this with concentrate and the rest of the bottle with water, and yeah. you couldn't do that with the half size bottle, right? So one of the reasons they lost sales was not because they changed the concentration. But because now it was a smaller bottle, you couldn't make the mix in the previous empty bottle that you had. So it's, yeah, okay, understood. And right. it's the perceived value as well because it's half the size. I, I think that had an impact, but I think they did well in communicating the fact that it made right. the same amount. You know what they did for about 12 months? They actually gave away and sold fridge containers, fridge jugs with markers on them to make the cordial. Ah, okay. And that came later, did it? That came after they, I think they realised very quickly that was yeah. one of the reasons why the brand had, had, had an impact. Now, you know, another example is, you know, the size of your product in comparison to other products. So Lego this year, so we, we do quite a bit of work for some block companies, right, for, for, for toy block manufacturers. And Lego this year has actually increased the size of their boxes for the, for the equivalent kit from the, the year before. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that they must have gone through a process of we'll make the box a little bit smaller, we can ship more of them, we can fit more in a in a in a outer carton, we can ship more on a pallet, we can put more on the shelves, right? 
Um, but maybe just maybe the consumers weren't buying as much because they're thinking they're not getting as much value because the box is 30 or 35% smaller, regardless yeah, of yeah. what's in, inside it, right? And, I, you know, one of the things I noticed over uh, this Christmas was that they've, in, for the equivalent, you know, $5 or $10 small box is now significantly larger. It has mm, the same yeah. amount on the inside, but the physical box is, is a different size. Interesting. You know, so thinking about that, you know, when, you know, often there's this battle between logistics and operations as far as fitting things in warehouses and making them fit into post-pack parcels with e-commerce and, and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, it can have a big impact, you know, it can double your shipping cost if you're not careful, but you've also got to think about what the consumer thinks when they receive the item, right? I mean, you can look at things like iPads. iPads are very, very thin, yet their box is still, you know, two plus inches thick. And there's mm -hmm. no need for the box to be two inches thick. Yeah, maybe. Well, they do put some other little things in there, like the charger and whatnot. But, um, okay, fair enough. That's a fair point. Well, what else do you have there, Al? Or are you getting, getting close to wrapping it up, buddy? I think that's pretty much it. I, I guess, you know, getting to, the point I wanted to make is getting design wrong can have a financial impact. It's not just about will it look great. It needs to perform, you know, and do some tests before you redesign things. Make sure you have a clear understanding of what is working before you redesign something. And if you're starting from fresh, test a few things before you go all out and, and generate a whole, you know, business brand guideline to make sure that you are going in the, in the right direction. Yeah, killer tips, Al. And yeah, if you are going to brief a designer, just make sure you let them know what's working currently. And if you don't know, go and find out. You bet. Awesome, man. Well, great tips in there. And thank you very much for that suggestion, Al. I enjoyed listening to your case studies. And uh, yeah, hopefully listening, you've got a lot of value out of it as well. And if you've got any comments, please head over to therealmagic.com and we can continue the conversation there. Thanks, listener. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to The Real Magic Podcast. Hear more at therealmagic.com.